welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Let's stand up and pray. Uh, Let's pray for people to uh, uh, consider what Christmas is all about this time of year. uh, And then we'll come around God's Word, yeah? Father God, we love you. Oh, wow, we we so appreciate the the reason uh, for Christmas gatherings and carols. And they all point to you, Lord Jesus. And we want others to really understand uh, why you came and beyond the nativity scene to see the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, the Almighty One, the Great Redeemer and all the the different titles and names that we've been focusing on uh, in in this series. We thank you, Lord God, for for who you are, Jesus, for who you've become in our lives through our simple faith in you. And we pray for others to put their faith in you. We pray for people. Come on, think of someone you know in your life, your circle of influence, and think of the witness that you have for them. We pray that we would help people to discover Jesus through a testimony, sharing something, a story of our own life that's part of your biggest story, inviting them to church, carols tonight, uh, whatever, Lord. We pray the witness, the light, the good news of Jesus would go out and go into the world and go into people's hearts and we'd reach people. We want to reach out and not just keep what we have, but we want to share and shine the good news of Jesus. And we pray for our community, for our nation and all over the nations of the world. Nothing short of revival, an awakening, uh, just a great awakening again for people to consider Jesus and come to know Him as their Lord and Saviour. We pray for that. Multitudes and multitudes of people getting born again from young to old of all shapes, sizes, colours, racial backgrounds, whatever, everyone coming into the kingdom. We pray for that in Jesus' name. And we thank you again, all these wonderful biblical titles, names that proclaim who you are, Lord. We come around uh, your word today. Speak to us, help us to appreciate what you have to say. Apply it to our lives for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise Him. All right, have a seat. God bless you. If you haven't already got one of these, make sure you grab one. You don't have to do it just at this time of year, but there's 40 different titles that we've been looking at, 40 biblical names of Jesus as a countdown to Christmas. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Eddie. Matt. Um, Now, look, I know some may disagree with my theology on this point, but when the Australian cricket team does well, It's just a special anointing in the house of God. I just want to say, if you've come today and you need a breakthrough in your life, you've come at a good time. If you, you know, God loves you more because we're doing well in the cricket. I, I'm going to preach better. I just there's a spring in my step. Look, I'm as I said, I'm still looking for chapter and verse to back up this teaching, but. This and other great heresies will be taught at 101 Bible College next year. (laughs) Don't miss out. Um, I'm joking. just want to say I'm joking. Sometimes I don't say I'm joking. 
And then people go, wow, really? Like Ruth and I, you know, do you remember Paul, Pastor Paul and Ruth Martini who were here earlier in the year from Albuquerque? They've asked us to go and speak in their church, run a marriage uh, seminar, uh, which we, we do. And he said, we'd love to um, pay for your flights. And he said on a text, yes, just confirming, you know, we will, we will shout your flights uh, there. And I just texted back, great, I've never flown first class. <laughs> now... Unfortunately, and and look, his wife's Australian. I should have left it at that, but I know it's boring. I went joking, you know, because I just thought, look, he's American. He might not understand sarcasm, you know. Uh, But then he came back and said, no, no, seriously, if you get a good deal, business class or first class, go for it. I'm like, no, no, really. I was, no, 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 don't worry. I, I, I got upgraded once to business class and it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me was in 1995, and it was the most amazing flight from London to Toronto in Canada. Oh, and um, it's just terrible, because then you just know what you miss out on for the rest of your life, you know? And, and I remember when the guy was, was with me, we were, I preached in Russia, gone to England, and then we were going to the Toronto Blessing really tired, been preaching in Russia, had crazy flights, and we got on the plane and they said, no, before we got on the plane, we're checking in, they said, oh, this is back in the day when you could get a free upgrade occasionally, and they said, would you like a business class upgrade? And we went, yeah, sure, we'd love it, thank you, great. And then we get on the plane, we sit, and then someone comes along, one of the stewards comes along and says, oh, look, we're terribly sorry, we've got a couple who aren't able to sit next to each other, would you mind giving up your seat and moving? And I thought, oh, they've hit on us because we only got upgraded. We didn't pay for business class. So I just sat in business class, you know, oh, just enjoyed it for five minutes. Thought, all right, and all right. But they only meant move to another part of business. And I thought, oh, praise the Lord. Anyway, you can see it's still strong in my memory all these years later. Anyway, back to the Bible. Who has a favourite verse? Now, We've probably all got, you know, a favourite Bible verse. Some people have a life verse, a passage of Scripture that God's spoken to them from. And, uh, you know, you maybe had different verses, promises, Scriptures, different seasons in your life. And I've got my list. So settle down. We'll be here for several hours. I'm going to go through all of them today. No, joking. We're just going to um, look at one. And you may know this passage or this verse. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us boldly approach the throne of grace. Well, that's NIV. I want it in New King James. I'm going to read it to in New King James. And if you just check the email, I've listed which verses I wanted with which version. But I'll, I'll just read this out. It's similar, but I want you to just catch the word boldly because this is how I re- remembered it and memorized it. So let us therefore boldly come to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I mean, what a great promise, yeah? I love that because, well, a number of reasons. One, I often need God's help and uh, I rely completely on his mercy and grace as I think we should all do. I also appreciate that God's on a throne of grace not a throne of judgment. And of course, one day he will switch seats. So get in now while he's on the grace throne. You know, really, like those ads and emails that you get that says, uh, act now, only 24 hours left for free delivery. Quick, you know, get, secure your seat. It's always, hurry up, get, do it now. Well, in the same way, we have a chance. We have a season. And Jesus is not judging the world. He is willing to save and his grace 
is there for us. We approach him and he's leaning towards us with grace. Um, but we do need to act because we're all going to die. Or Jesus will come back, one or the other. Or both, if you time it just right. But, you know, they're both on the way. So, so uh, you know, so everyone should approach this throne of grace Ah, to receive mercy, forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, and, and anything else you need. God's amazing. But why do we get to approach this throne of grace? Why is it a throne of grace? I'm glad you asked, because if you go back two verses earlier, Hebrews 4, 14 and 15, look what it says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathise with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So notice there the great high priest. In verse 14, we have a great high priest. So that's the title of Jesus that we're looking at today, that has appeared on our, our list and our countdown to Christmas that appeared this week. Now, of course, when you read the Old Testament, you read about high priests. And they would be appointed to stand between God and people, to be the, the intermediate person, the, the intermediary, you know, the, 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 someone standing, representing God to the people and representing God, the people to God, bringing sacrifices from the people as a temporary atoning covering over sin without dealing with it completely and then also coming from God with a, a prophetic voice to the people and this went on for hundreds of years but of course the the atonement for sin was not perfect wasn't complete it was only ever temporary and partial uh, and because God's you know perfection and holiness called for something more permanent to be done in order to restore a, a relationship with his creation, with his people. And even though the Jewish people were God's chosen people, the fellowship, the connection, the, the intimacy that God longed for had been broken by sin and something more permanent was needed. And so praise the Lord, Jesus came to earth. Yeah, And so not just so we can have a holiday and presents and prawns and, you know, the nativity scene, he came with purpose to be a sacrifice. And, um, and so he is that perfect sacrifice. And notice, look again, verse 15 in that passage, it says that he's tempted, he was tempted in all points, just as we are, and yet he was without sin. So that tells us that Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. The only person in the universe who has ever lived that life, the only person who could stand in that position and uniquely needed to be that person because as human, he represented humankind to God. And as divine, he made the sacrifice perfect so that it could be completely atoning for sin once and for all. And that's what makes Jesus our great high priest, yeah? Not just another one of those priests that were human and fallible and, and, uh, and imperfect. 
He's greater than any other priest. And if we read uh, Hebrews 7, later in that letter, look at Hebrews 7 verse 25. It says, Therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. No, Jesus sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. Wow, isn't that awesome? So as a priest, Jesus brought this sacrifice on behalf of the people, which meant justice could be served completely in one act and the sacrifice was perfect because it was Jesus himself sinless holy beyond reproach replacing the need for any other sacrifices ever and that's why there's no need for the ongoing sacrificial system and we have peace with God through Jesus now of course when you read the book of Hebrews it originally was a letter to Jewish people in Rome at the time Hebrews, Hebrew people, right? We just call it the book of Hebrews and we just read it. But it was what we would call Messianic Jews today, Jewish people who had become followers of Jesus. So they knew all about the priesthood, the Old Testament sacrificial system. And that's why when you read Hebrews, there's a lot of talk about Jesus being this priest and how there's a new covenant compared to the old covenant, how the law has been fulfilled by Jesus and now we're in this era of grace. And so they were being taught through this letter uh, that the whole sacrificial system that the priests ran in the Old Testament was no longer necessary. Incredible. And, uh, and if you've been tracking the, you know, the, the countdown to Christmas, you'd see this week, not only was the phrase great high priest there, but another day we had uh, sacrifice. Jesus is called the great sacrifice. And also Jesus called the Lamb of God, which represents, you know, that title when John the Baptist saw Jesus come out of, uh, you know, the baptism and prepare for his ministry. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world perfect sacrifice a lamb just like an old testament sacrifice but the lamb of god a phrase that captures this you know divinity and human mix or combination and so um in other words look in today's language without you know vernacular uh we would probably use the word mediator to understand better because we don't tend to use the word priest and sacrifice that much in the 21st century and in fact even in Hebrews you see that Hebrews 9 I think it's verse 21 it says Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and so again that sort of captures those three phrases that I mentioned sacrifice lamb of God great high priest they're all connected different we can focus study on them and and the book of Hebrews is a great you know source of rich revelation to study deeper than we have time for today but just to think in terms of Jesus as a high priest just think of that term mediator or mediation because we hear that a lot these days you know sadly you've got people uh, getting divorced and they'll go through mediation hopefully to just settle things down and get a settlement often a financial settlement is made hopefully there's less acrimony and angst through mediation and then um, 
you've got uh, uh, an increase in recent years, mediation in the workplace, because you've often got, uh, you know, conflict disputes, maybe a pay dispute or someone in the workplace is like a, you know, their employ- uh, employees saying that the employer's got this terribly toxic culture and so they have mediation to, to work stuff out. Uh, and then internationally, you've got a country who might step in to try and help two other countries get a peace accord. And so we're mediating and lawyers are involved. And the problem is, the biggest need we all have for mediation is between us and God. And the problem with that is that most people don't realise that that's the mediator that they really need to step in. So they can run around and sort out, you know, legal matters and relationship issues and even international conflicts through mediation, but the single biggest need for mediation or for a great high priest, some kind of mediator, is between us and God. And most people, especially Aussies, don't realise that. Because you've heard Aussies say, oh yeah, the big fella upstairs. How many times have you heard people say that? I, I, honestly, I'd be a millionaire if I had a dollar for every bloke I've met. He goes, yeah, yeah, me and the big fella upstairs. Yeah, we're good. And the other thing that's connected with that is, look, I just try to be a good person. So I reckon, you know, if anyone deserves to go to heaven, I'll, you know, I'll make it because I'm just trying to be a good person. And the, the, the problem is that that's, that's not enough because no one's good enough. No one, not even Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela or Glenn Maxwell. Do you like the way I just threw Glenn in there? Just with, you know, famous, great, life-changing people. Um, If you don't know who Glenn Maxwell is, ask Janelle after the service because Janelle is an avid cricket follower and um, there's not enough women that are in that position. So Janelle, one of the courses in 101 Bible College next year will be for women only on why and how to become a better cricket fan and be a true Australian, right? It's our national sport. Um, so that's when I have to say, joking, right? Um, so, you know, no, my point is that too many people are too casual about this thing called sin, you know, because if you want to talk about mediation between us and God, you don't have a leg to stand on, no matter how good you may be, yeah? And it's not just unbelievers, people who have never met Jesus or haven't become Christians. Christians sometimes can just blithely say, oh yeah, I live under grace. You know, oh yeah, I'm saved. And then they just trip along doing whatever they feel like doing. And there's no awareness of our failings before God. There's no fear of God. And, and we can just think of Jesus as some divine buddy who just comes along whenever we need him, saves us, helps us out, blesses us with his supernatural power. And he does. But we do better to live a repentant, respectful life before God. Yeah? Because we then realise we need this mediator, this great high priest who's become a sacrifice for our sin. So it's very easy just to be complacent. And speaking of complacency, I read some details this week about the Titanic tragedy that relates to this. Because as you probably know, in 1912, the Titanic was presented to the world, was lauded as not just the largest, but the most luxurious passenger ship ever built. 
At that time, I read not long ago, I think there's a ship today that's like five times bigger, but you know, at that time it was, it was amazing, it was big, and it was deemed unsinkable. Talk about an ironic boast. Um, because they had the latest designs uh, with the latest technology and engineering being used, uh, but that overconfidence led to complacency that probably played a part in its sinking. Because, and this is what I read uh, this last week, on the night of the tragedy, the wireless operator on the Titanic was busy communicating to a place called Cape Race, which is a base on the Canadian coast of Newfoundland, and he was sending personal messages from passengers to be forwarded on to their families in North America. And at the same time, he received no less than four separate warnings from other nearby ships about icebergs. And he wrote down at least one of them because a survivor was working alongside him and knew what happened. Um, but he failed to pass it onto the bridge, to the captain, you know, controlling the ship. The final message that they got was from a ship only 10 nautical miles away, which had stopped for the night because of the icebergs and survived. But the Titanic operator was put out by the interruption. He got this message from the ship saying, hey, watch out. And he sent back a message, shut up, keep out, I'm working Cape Race. In other words, I'm busy dealing with these other messages and told him to shut up. And an hour later, they hit an iceberg that would lead to over 1,500 people drowning. And that tragedy could have been prevented if they had heard and heeded the warning signs about their predicament. And similarly, we have warning signs about our predicament before God. We've got the Ten Commandments, standards that we can't perfectly follow in our own strength. We've got the Holy Spirit who speaks to our conscience with a a warning sign of conviction of sin. Not condemnation, but just a humble heart picks up on, oh, that's... That's failing, that's falling short uh, between me and God. As the Bible says, we've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. And so we can choose to ignore the warnings and just plough ahead like the Titanic. But if we're smart, we'll stop and address the situation. In other words, wow, I'm sinful before a perfect God and I kind of need someone to step in and help me. Aha. And that's Jesus. But the problem is people just don't think about their situation. They don't think about eternity, about their fragility of life, about their mortality. And that's just like dancing on the Titanic and drinking and celebrating as people did while the ship was going down. They're probably still there as the ship was going down. They're thinking, but this can't be happening. It's, 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 it's unsinkable. And, you know, sadly, a lot of Aussies live as if like they're they're immortal. Just going to live forever. I've got motorbike mates. They're getting older. They're breaking more bits, you know, in motorbike crashes. But they just seem to think they're going to live forever. It's like, you know, I mean, imagine being 60. <laughs> You're nearly done, aren't you? It's like, really? Um, so, you know, that's, I'm saying that because Ruth and I turned 60. I know, I know, it's hard to believe. But, but uh, you know, this year, it's like, flip. We're not getting any younger, as they say. I heard an interview recently with Ray Comfort, and you must look this guy up. 
uh, Kiwi evangelist. His ministry is called Living Waters. He's got a series of great videos of personal witnessing. Um, and there's some others that work with his organisation as well. And they encounter people and talk about apologetics, reasons for their Christian faith and Chris, Christian beliefs. And his strength in soul winning is not just to meet people and tell them Jesus will bless you and you want to give him a go and just, you know, he loves you so much. Just, just go to church and read your Bible and commit to Christ. He builds the reason for us to come to Christ by helping people to see, oh, I, I'm a sinner who needs a saviour. He builds that awareness in his conversations with people. So he uses the analogy of a doctor who has seen the scans and the x-rays for his patient and recognises a life-ending illness. And the patient comes and sits before the doctor and the patient doesn't have any symptoms. At that point, he feels fine. He looks fine. But the doctor knows he's only got months to live without treatment. Now, the doctor's got a cure. He's got some magic medicine, you know, great technology or medicine. And Ray Comfort says, what should the doctor do? Should he give the patient the cure or should he show him the scans and the x-rays? And Ray Comfort says, most people say, oh, you should give him the cure. But he says, no, no, that's not going to work. If the doctor gives him the cure, he points out that the patient will think that's unnecessary. That might even be silly. That's foolishness. I feel fine, doc. Why are you giving me medicine? I'm not going to take it. He says what a good doctor does is he shows the scans and the x-rays so the guy gets to see the problem. (gasps) Oh, and then he realises, oh, I'm in trouble. And then the patient says, oh, doc, uh, you know, you're showing me here. I see what you're showing me. This is deadly serious. Is there anything we can do? And then the doctor can say, aha, yes, (laughs) I've got some amazing medicine. And so the gospel of Jesus is the great cure For our sins, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's our great high priest. He's our mediator. But we'll ignore what he offers until we are convicted of sin and realise our need for him. And that's, that's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, it says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Because people think, oh, that's ridiculous. I don't need that. I'm fine. You know, I'm going to live forever, aren't I? But then if you read on, it says, God's made the wisdom of this world to be foolish. And then, it, and you keep reading, it says Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So I'd prefer to have God's wisdom, wisdom from the word rather than wisdom from the world. Yeah. It's a higher way of seeing things, yeah? So we celebrate that Jesus ha, has come to be our great high priest because we need him, yeah? And notice this is not just a point of theology. This is not just a, uh, you know, a, a cute understanding of a biblical concept the fact is watch this every revival the world's ever seen an awakening people turning to God people being born again lives changing in large numbers every single revival has begun with Christians who were aware of their desperate need for God who were repentant humble bent on on becoming holy not in a crazy way but crying out to this great high priest to forgive and save and heal and, and move. Not overly sin conscious. You know, some sad, morbid Christians get caught up with that and, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace and that's all they ever, you know, go on about over and over. But the converse opposite problem from that is that some Christians who are just, 
you know, they use this term hyper grace, where they're just sort of saying, oh, I can do what I like and I'm saved. and, And they're flippant about their failings before God and their relationship with God and they're too casual about their sin. The people that have brought revival have been prayerful, humble, repentant, hungry for God, seeking God and, uh, and then seeing his healing and his holiness move in their community. And you can read all through church history of that occurring, even in our own nation and other nations, Scottish revivals, Welsh revivals, Azusa Street revivals, and God's going to do it again. And he's going to do it with people who are boldly approaching the throne of grace to find his help, yeah, in a time of need, and boldly approaching the great high priest. Let me finish with one last verse. Because when we find, you know, Jesus and we realise, well, who he is and he's our mediator, uh, we don't just allow his love to save us and flow into us. We end up, hopefully, with his love flowing through us. As this verse says in Ephesians 5 verse 2, Have we got that one? Maybe I didn't give it to you. I'm not sure. Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, oh, there it is. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there's that message again. Jesus himself is the sacrifice. He gave himself willingly because he loves us so much. And as a result, we are called to walk in his way, his way of love, even a way of sacrifice, you know, just sharing in his sufferings, as the Bible says. So he's given himself to us, for us, but let's follow him in this way of love. Amen? Come on, let's pray. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're our great high priest. You are the only priest we need. Through you, we can boldly approach the throne, the throne of God, the throne of grace to find help, whatever help we need. And Lord, more than anything, we need your forgiveness for our sin. We thank you that that's fully available. You've paid for us to be bought and brought back into God's loving arms. Just like that prodigal son story, the father looking out, for the lost son returning home. And we thank you. We can come back to your love available for us all. And you know, today, just every head bowed, please, every eye closed, I just want you to give you an opportunity to make sure that you're in right standing before God. Not, as I said before, being a good person, but by simply putting your faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And you can make him your Lord and Saviour by praying a very simple prayer, just a prayer of faith. I'll pray with you at the end of the service if you need to give your life to God or recommit your life to God if you've walked away from him. And Jesus is the way back to God. He's the way, the truth and the life. And he has become this great high priest who is standing between us and God and helping us to be reconciled, forgiven, saved, healed, and set on a pathway to heaven. It's awesome. And we appreciate you, Lord Jesus, again today for all your different roles and ways you minister into our lives. 
And we thank you that you are the only priest we need. Touch and help us to walk with this understanding. And we thank you again tonight. What a great evening it's going to be. We pray people to come and gather, worship you, celebrate you. We pray for anointing on all the logistics and all the different people working, serving, organising stuff. We thank you that it will all flow together for your glory, blessing people. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.